Colossians chapter 2 is where we'll be looking this morning and beginning, or looking specifically at verse 8. We looked at the first part of that this past Sunday. And I'm going to read beginning at verse uh, uh, 6, it is, and through a few verses beyond. So it gives us an entrance into this new section as Paul is describing our salvation in Christ, the glory that is his, and our confidence in him. We don't need to look to this other thing or this other thing over here, but we have Christ. We have everything we need in Christ. So verse 6 says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and being built up in him and having been established in your faith, just as you were instructed and abounding with thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and in him you have been filled, who is the head over all rule and authority, in whom also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead." And you, being dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, having graciously forgiven us all our transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has also taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them in him. That's some good news right there, that God is saving to the uttermost, those who are in Christ. Let me get back to this verse right here, chapter 2 and verse 8. There it is. We looked at that concern that Paul had, that no one, let no one take us captive or take us as uh, kidnapped victims or allow us to be added into their their booty, as it were. So verse 8, you can follow along in there. Verse 8 says, Don't let anyone take you captive or lead you into uh, enslavement or bondage because of the teaching that they have. Don't be those people that who will allow their ears to be tickled with things that they would like to hear, but are not sound, are not good, they're not healthy kind of doctrine. He says, beware, be very uh, alert to false teachers, those who will uh, fall into, or, or allow you, or, or encourage you to fall into error and deception and anything that draws away from Christ. He is the one that we give our attention. There's all sorts of people out there. Paul doesn't even name names here. He just says, don't just watch for anyone who leads you away from the truth of the gospel. How do they do it? Well, through, as he says in verse 8, philosophy and empty deception. We looked at that last week in terms of the the uh, the message that they offer some it sounds wise it sounds profound it sounds uh, innovative it sounds uh, scintillating and yet mm, it's it's off base it's not even you know it didn't even get to the first base as it were it's it's not even abundant it's it's there's nothing there's there's nothing to it it is empty uh, deception there is no uh, uh, cohesive idea about it other than anti god anti christ there is no fruit that comes out of it except despair and destruction. There's no purpose in it except to delude and deceive and take people away from Christ. So it's really uh, things we ought not be messing with and paying attention to. 
Be careful lest anyone deceive you in that way. So many times in Paul's letter, in this brief letter of Colossians, he has mentioned wisdom. Wisdom this, wisdom that's grow in wisdom, uh, teaching and admonishing and all wisdom. Uh, the wisdom is all centered in Christ himself and many other instances Whereas the false teachers in Colossae were saying, hey, you want wisdom? Come follow me, you know, kind of going through the side door. We don't need to go through Christ. Let's go through this side. It's better. I've got some secret hidden knowledge, some wisdom that I can teach you. It'll be only a, a, a special deal for you, you know, your friend of mine. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give it to you, but you have to pay. And this is the danger that these false teachers were presenting to this church in Colossae. As they would do all over, wherever the church is, not just in the first century, but in every century in between then and now, there are, full, there are charlatans, there are those who, as uh, Satan himself, disguise himself as an angel of light. There are those who say they're representing Christ, but they're not giving honor and glory to Christ. Be careful. Watch out for them. True philosophy, true wisdom comes from Christ alone. It is centered in his person. It is, it's begun, of course, by the fear of the Lord. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. We know that anything that leads us away from Christ is an empty deception. It is something that we ought not pay attention to. We should be on the lookout for things that lead us away from Christ. He says that these things are uh, uh, sourced in, that so that the, the means by which they come are philosophy and deception, but how, where do they come from? What's the source material that they use? Well, he, he identifies it here in verse 8. It's the tradition of men. That's all it is, the tradition of men. Now, tradition is not always a bad thing. Tradition can be a good thing. In fact, many times in Scripture, Paul speaks of it very highly. It is the things that have been passed down or the things which I received. Even in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, the things which I received I have delivered or passed down or, or given by tradition to you. And you should be diligent to maintain them. Uh, Luke chapter 1, even Luke says, uh, a lot of other people have, have written down for us and handed down uh, the, these writings, these accounts, these, these uh, activities that were done among us. They were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So having tradition handed down to us is not an evil thing. 1 Corinthians 11, 2 uh, mentions that. 11.23 mentions it. Uh, 15.3. Now, this is, a, this is important. 1 Corinthians 15.3. Of course, 1 Corinthians 15 is all about resurrection, but it starts talking about the gospel. And he says, I received or I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And it goes on. He says that Christ died uh, uh, for our sins according to the scriptures, that he uh, was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to so-and-so and so-and-so, then he went up to heaven. I delivered to you what I also received. There's that tradition. There's that apostolic teaching. We even saw in this passage in Colossians 2, you continue in these things just as you were instructed. So there's that idea, you received the truth, so walk in that truth. Second uh, Peter uh, 2.21 has a similar idea. And of course, Jude. Jude only has one chapter, so you can just say Jude, verse 3, uh, says, this is an interesting kind of background to, to why Jude wrote that short little letter. But he said in verse 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, exhorting that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. There's that idea of tradition or things that are passed down from one generation to another or one person to another. There are these apostolic traditions that, that are a good thing. We need to pay attention to them and hold fast to these, these traditions. And yet, he doesn't say, 
that these are traditions from the apostles or the prophets even. He says these are the traditions of men. These are the traditions that are characterized uh, by humanity. They're sourced in uh, your reason or your, your experiences or your emotions or whatever it is. It is a human-based tradition. It could be, uh, given this situation in Colossae, Colossae was mainly, primarily a Gentile city, but uh, certainly there were Jews present, and if not Jews in the in the um, in the church itself, in the in the redeemed group there, there were Jews who came in, or or Jewish sympathizers, whichever, who were introducing the traditions of men, introducing the commandments of the rabbis that oh, you, can, you need to not do this, or you need to do this, or on the Sabbath day, make sure you do this, and don't do that, and then the festivals, make sure you do this, and, and oh, it's a new moon, so you got to do this, and these sacrifices, and you got to be circumcised, and all all this stuff that they were adding on these traditions of men. And Paul says, don't let anyone take you captive through that stuff, through these traditions of men. Uh, being in Gentile origin, this may be in one phrase that he has here, we'll look at maybe a Gentile origin, returning to the pagan gods, not just the Jewish practice of life, but now, you know, all the pantheon of gods that we have and, and these different idols. You consider uh, Acts 17 when Paul is in Athens and he's just uh, overcome with grief over all these uh, altars to various, I mean, just all manner of gods, and even they, you know, they covered all their bases to the unknown God, just in case there's one that we missed. He says, let me tell you who this unknown God is. He revealed himself to us. It's Christ Jesus himself. And so this, this, this uh, tradition of men is so difficulty, so difficult, whether it comes from a Jewish rabbinical source or a Gentile pagan, uh, source, whatever it is, watch out for it. Pay attention that you won't, don't be hoodwinked by it. These are the traditions of men. He says it in verse 8 here. Jesus said so much about their tradition that the rabbis, that the Pharisees, that, well, primarily the Pharisees, the Sadducees also to some degree, but these who would add so many rules on top of a single command in, in God's word from the Ten Commandments even or the, the full Mosaic uh, legislation full from law of Moses, uh, they would add like an onion steps and and uh, uh, other additional rules and requirements on top of, well, what does it mean not to covet? Well, we'll tell you this, and you can't do that. Or what does it mean to keep the Sabbath? Well, it means only walking this many feet or this many, you know, this distance away from your home. And, and uh, you can do this, but you can't do that. And, and you can't cut your beard because that would be harvesting. And, and you, you need to, when you take your... Um, uh, you know, when you cook your food, it has to be this way, and you have to keep that separate from that. And you can't do this on this. I mean, so many restrictions that they heaped upon people. Jesus said it this way, you have laid so many burdens on top of your followers, and you're not even willing to lift your finger to help them. So many tiresome, wearisome, burdensome uh, rules and commandments that are taught by these traditions of men. Be careful about these things. And it's not even so, I mean, you can try to abide by all these rabbinic rules and requirements, but the the end result of it, as Jesus said in Matthew 15 and verse 3, you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition. It's not just that, well, we're trying to obey the command of God. No, by your adding and heaping on these new rules upon God's command, you're, you're forsaking it, and you're making all kind of 
um, excuses why, uh, well, you know, we're not violating this rule because of this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, ex- you remember the example. Well, you don't have to provide for your parents as long as you designate all of your wealth to God. It's, it's devoted to God, so I don't have to honor my father and mother. He says, you've just slighted, you've, you've just disregarded God's clear command for children to provide or, or help to show honor to their parents by your kind of excuse making, your weaseling out of, of the commandment, the clear commandment of God. He even says in that same passage, you invalidated or you canceled, you nullified. You're trying to protect God's rule and you're, you're, you're sidestepping it. You're excusing it altogether. It comes at this idea of traditions comes big into the uh, epistle that Paul wrote to the Galatian churches. Galatians chapter one and verse 14 uh, says that, you know, if anybody can boast, it's kind of like what he said in Philippians 3, but here in Galatians 1, he says, if anybody's going to boast, it ought to be me, because I was advancing in Judaism, which is not just Jewishness, it's not just following the law of Moses, it's following the whole rabbinic tradition of, you know, rabbi so-and-so, and rabbi this and that other thing, and, and all the the oral tradition passed on from generation to generation that is adding these requirements to the to the law. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for what? My ancestral traditions. I mean, okay, what can I wear on a Sabbath day? And, and how should I, I, you know, wrap the thing around my, my arms so I pray and be devoted to God? And what about, you know, not cutting the corners of your beard? And, I mean, so many attentions. Now, those are biblical commands, but the extension of it, the interpretation of it, the uh, onerous, I mean, just difficult application of it was something that Paul gave himself heart and soul to. And he says, Philippians 3, that's all foolishness. That is uh, garbage compared to knowing Christ. So he had to come through that whole cleansing, uh, emptying himself of his own works and clinging only to Christ himself. In relation to philosophy, and also here in this context, because philosophy is the means by which it comes, empty deception, but the source of it is human tradition. Well, the problem with human tradition that is not based on Scripture, but even some that is based on Scripture, but it's subjected to human reason and experience and the, the, the frailties of our flesh, the problem of this human tradition is that we are inadequate. We are not able to understand all that God is doing in our lives. Now, we can know the things he has revealed to us, and we need to give attention to it, hold on to those things, but there are things that the Scripture doesn't speak clearly uh, about this issue. I could name any particular issue, but I won't muddy the waters at this point. Any particular issue, you look in the concordance for it, oh, there's no verse on this, so what am I going to do? We subject ourselves to as much biblical revelation as we can receive and put it in context, but sometimes there are things that we don't know, that we can't, we don't have a specific word on, uh, you know, how many miles per gallon should uh, should my vehicle get? Well, uh, let's think about that. The, the scripture doesn't say it needs to be at least 30, and it needs to be, you know, 87 octane. There's, there's no scripture about that, but there are principles that help us to determine that, you know, budget and and uh, impact on the environment, and, and uh, you know, just all kinds of considerations on it. The thing with these false teachers is that they would 
not just say, well, you know, let's think about it. They would say, this is the way it has to be. And if you're part of our group, this is what you've got to do. And this is what you've got to be. And this is what you've got to say and have these different agendas and spend your money this way. By the way, first of it comes to us. We're your teachers and the teachers ought to be paid by the students. And you see how it is a, it's a, a hook. In fact, somebody compared it, this, that word, uh, take, don't let anyone take you captive, that uh, it looks good, but it's like a fish hook, right? That 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 thing looks good, but it's a lure or a worm or a bug or a piece of bread or whatever, a hot dog, right? Uh, it looks good, but inside it is a hook that you are taken captive and you're put in the skillet. Okay, sorry to be, frighten you or whatever, but I mean, that is what's going on. Watch out. That stuff looks so attractive, but there's death in it. Watch out. There we have an inadequacy in our intellect. We must be informed, governed by divine revelation, God's word. The problem, too, with human tradition is that it comes a lot of times from depraved minds, darkened intellect. It's kind of like saying, hey, go wash the windows, but you're talking to a blind person. They don't even know where the window is. How are they they going to find the spots and the difficulties in it? We have a darkened intellect. The problem with human tradition is it is typically anti-God, not just neutral, not just trying to say, well, you know, I'll, I'll allow the possibility there might be a God. No, it says there is no God. Remember those philosophers I mentioned last week, Thales of, of Miletus? He had a specific, this was back uh, 600 BC, so the time of Jeremiah and Daniel and those guys. He's, he had a specific attitude toward God, which is so much the rage now and all of our different evolutionary uh, teachers. It's anti-God. There's no God. If, if, if there is a God, then I hate him. And I'm so animated against him. Everything I do is against God. I can explain the origin of the world. I can explain everything without some supernatural deity out there. It's all just natural law. It's all, well, where'd natural law come from? There's a problem. See this, this anti-God, this, it's not objective. It is very subjective. It is not based on, well, I'm, I'm an impartial observer in this thing. I, I have a clear wisdom and understanding. No, you don't. You don't even know what you don't know about these things. Human tradition, tradition of men, is often driven by the desires of the flesh, whether it is greed, which is so much the rage now, trying to get more and more and more of less and less, or maybe it's it's uh, so that I can spend it on my desires, right? Isn't that what uh, James 4 says? What's the cause of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the desires which wage war in your flesh? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. And when you do receive, you spend it on your desires. It's all about that. What What is the problem that we have? It's the desires that we have. Now, it's not to say that desire is wrong. We ought to just be non-desirous of anything. No, but we, we need to understand that desire motivates or informs or influences our choices and our actions. We cannot just say, oh, I'm being impartial, I'm being objective. No, what do you really want in this situation? What are you after? What's your, if not your ulterior motive, what is your your subversive kind of a motive that you're after? In terms of these human teachers, they were after followers. They were after the influence. They were after the, the likes on Facebook or whatever. They were after the, the influence that they could have on other people, the name that they could have, the praise of men, the power, the money, and all this kind of thing. Don't go after those things. Those things are so fleeting. We'll see. This, this, this is, we'll see in the next phrase, it talks about the elementary thing, the principles of the world. This is worldly stuff. Guess what's going to happen to this world? 
going away. Everything about it is going away. Guess what the praise of men is going to get you? Praise of men temporarily, temporally, and when you might get canceled, you know, because you said something contrary to the to the narrative, then you're set aside. Well, what does that mean? You, I mean, what kind of life is that? Tradition of men is so difficulty difficult. It is also uh, kind of speculates about things. That's one thing going on in Colossae was this speculative, uh, imaginative. Uh, special knowledge that they had, this this uh, um, higher wisdom that they had. I'll, I'll give it to you for a fee. Speculative mysticism, it's describing things that you have no idea what you're talking about. It is driven by unknowable things, whether natural or supernatural. Remember, they're given, well, we haven't seen it so much, but uh, it's later in Colossians 2, about the worship of angels. We saw it earlier in, in uh, Colossians 1, verse 15 when and 16, when it talked about the that Christ is Lord. He's over all these these rulers and authorities and all this stuff. Christ is over all that. Why would you worship a created being when you can worship Christ, the creator? Why would you go for these lesser things? It is speculative. You you imagine all these different hierarchy of, of whatever, but you're not giving full uh, attention to Christ. Another problem of tra- human tradition is, well, which tradition are you going to follow? You have this teacher over there teaching this whole system. Meanwhile, you have this other teacher over here teaching the opposite of whatever that person said, or maybe it's that, well, yes, he was so close. There's this one little hidden truth that he, he neglected or he forgot about. And you think, well, is there any end to this? How can I know which is, which is the truth? This guy over here, this guy over here. And then you have um, uh, just a whole cacophony. You know what a cacophony is? It's like an evil noises. Symphony is good when everything works together. But a cacophony is wicked, just nasty. It's like when the the uh, the symphony orchestra is is warming up their instruments and tuning them, and they're all doing just all yeah. That's cacophony. And then when the conductor says, and now we have the symphony. Now we have the beautiful music. We have a cacophony of voices speaking contrary to what God is saying. And it is speculative. It's contradictory. It is factional, which is not what God wants us to do. He wants us to be united in mind, united in knowledge, united in purpose. And it's so much given to party spirit. And guess what? There's no authority in it. Well, how are you going to say, well, my rabbi so-and-so or teacher, professor, doctor, whatever, says this. Well, what authority does he have? Oh, he has some some little letters behind his name, but okay, that's that's nothing. What is he basing his knowledge on? Is it the scripture? Does he mention it at all? Where is Christ in this teaching? He says, watch out for the, the source of this that comes from tradition of men. Watch out for the substance of what they teach. And here he says, watch out for the elementary principles of the world. Watch out for those things which are uh, the rudimentary, I mean, just the basic stuff, this word, and maybe your translation, I think, uh, a few of them, ESV, I think, NIV, uh, some other ones had uh, elementary spirits of of the world or elemental spirits. Um, the basic idea of this is something that is in a series, something that is in a line, kind of like an alphabet. So you have ABC, or you have the idea of... Uh, lining up different people, uh, you know, age order or, or whatever age, you know, just line it up by height. But it talks about just a very simple content, a very simple arrangement or ideas of, of, uh, of, uh, either, uh, people or, or things or whatever it is. 
And to talk about an individual member of that is to say, well, this this uh, member of this set of people, uh, an element of a series, whether it's in a row or a line or, or whatever it is, uh, I can again refer to the letters of the alphabet. It is um, used specifically, Peter uses it, this term when he refers to the destruction of the universe, which is, wow, that's that's a, a, a weighty subject. But he says in Second Peter 3 uh, and verse 10, and then again in verse 12, he talks about the elements, the these what Paul says here, elementary principles, but here the actual elements, the material elements of the universe will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. The heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. So we're talking about the basic building blocks of everything, you know, the atoms, but not just the atoms, the individual parts of the atoms, which we're just now beginning to understand and, and appreciate more fully. It would be like saying uh, in this context of doctrine, oh, we need to go back and, and we need to pay attention to the ABCs. Let's say it together. A, B, C. No, A, B, C. And they would give so much attention to this elementary stuff. What do you tell me that for? We can move on to this. Why are you spending too much, so much time with this? Well, they wanted the authority. They wanted the, the appearance that we are... We are the enlightened ones. You just need to follow us. You need to sit down and shut up and listen and pay your dues to us. We are trying to help you here. It is very similar to that parable, that modern-day parable about the emperor with no clothes. You can go home and read that story, but it, it's, it shows people think, oh, we're the enlightened ones. You have to be on the inside to know the, the actual truth. No, he's naked. He's got no clothes on. This is empty philosophy. It is empty deception. It's a lie. And yet people, they spend good money on this kind of doctrine. This is the introductory lessons. These are these uh, uh, things that, that we should be moving on away from these things. Part of what I think he's getting at here in this context is both the tradition of men and the elementary principles of the world can refer to the elementary Spirits, and this, I don't think that's really what he's after, although it could be because he does talk about later the worship of angels and the spirit beings and, and giving attention to those things which are created beings. Why, again, focus on the created things when we want to honor the Lord, the creator? Don't give your attention to these, to the worship of angels. He says in Colossians 2, 18 and 19, uh, you know, they're going into detail about visions that they've seen. They're puffed up for nothing uh, by his fleshly mind, not folding fast to the head from them, the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with the growth that's from God. They're not connected to the head, which is Christ. They're giving their attention to this other uh, rudimentary stuff. I think I, I don't have time to belabor or develop this idea, but I think we need to look at a parallel passage um, or parallel uh, development of this idea in Galatians 3 and 4. Uh, just write down the, the reference there. But Galatians 3 and, and 4, goes. the first part of chapter 4, talks about the role of the law, the role of God's mosaic legislation, the you know num uh, Exodus and, and uh, Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, this the giving of the law. And he says... Paul says it this way, the law was given as a schoolmaster, as a tutor to lead us to Christ. That's the role of the law. It's not something that we need to spend so much time, especially now us being members of the new covenant, spending so much time, okay, which which labor was I supposed to wash in? When am I supposed to do that? What's the wash basin? And when am I supposed to do this? And okay, it's Yom Kippur, so what should I do and not do? 
Those things are helpful, but it shows us the beauty and glory of Christ. He is the substance. All this other stuff is the shadow. All this other stuff is the ABCs. Don't give your attention to the ABCs when we have the full doctrine in Christ himself. He is the, the epitome, the, the, uh, how does he say it here? The, he is the, um, the summing up of all wisdom and knowledge in Christ himself. So don't give your attention to the tutor. He says in, in, uh, Galatians 4, talking about the, uh, he was giving an analogy about children and inheritance and so forth. While we were children, we were enslaved under the elemental things. Same idea from, from what we're seeing in Colossians 2 verse 8. These elemental things of the world, before faith came, we were held in custody under what? These elemental things, which he says are the law. The law is that elemental thing I think he's talking about. And then later on in verse, uh, is it 10 maybe, Galatians 4, why do you turn back into the weak and worthless elemental things to which you want to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. This is the, the Jewish calendar of, of festivals and, and Sabbath days and so forth. What do you do turning back to that when you have Christ? You have Christ. Why are you turning back to these elemental things, these elementary principles? Hebrews 5 and verse 12 has the same idea of, uh, you know, you, he says, for the, by this time you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, the Old Testament stuff. You're, you haven't realized that the Old Testament is given to teach you and to direct you to Christ himself. You have need to, you have need, you have come to need milk and not solid food. They're not making any progress. So for us who are in Christ and say, well, we Christ is good, but let's go back and make sure that we get everything out of the Old Testament that we can get, and not just the Old Testament, the human tradition. Oh, Rabbi this and Rabbi, they had really good insight. That's human tradition. It's empty deception. Give your attention to Christ. Give your attention to him. There could be, also in relation to elemental things, uh, looking at the, the stars in the heavens and the way the planets move and you know, astrology, not astronomy, but astrology and considering those, uh, those things. No, don't give you, that's, that's, that's a waste of time. It distracts you. It detracts you. It leads you away from Christ. He says, don't be captured by that. It's all about the world. These are the element, elementary principles that are characterized by this fallen world, this anti-God, rebellious, cursed world. That which is totally materialistic, that which is driven by lust and, and desires and sensuality, it belongs to this world. It is not from heaven. And James talks about the wisdom that comes from above. That's what we want, not this wisdom from the world. First Corinthians uh, 1 and 2 and then the 3 talks about the con contrast between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And we who are so wise in this world are fools compared to what God's wisdom is, or conversely, those who are wise in God's wisdom are considered fools in the world or from the world or by the world. But guess what's better? It's that wisdom that comes from above. James 3 says the wisdom uh, the we, that we want is not that which, or excuse me, the wisdom that the, the world offers is not that which comes down from above. It is earthly, it is natural, it is demonic. First Timothy 4 verse 1, I think it talks about uh, watch out for the doctrines of demons. I mean, oh, there's no demons involved here. Do you know? <laughs> I mean, how do we even know? We don't see the spirit world. We don't understand it. We see some glimpses of it in the scripture. You know, uh, when the prophet Elisha, I think it was, who said, you know, open the eyes of my servant, and then, whoa, all these, these chariots and angels were there surrounding them when the Aramean army came against them. We don't understand all these spiritual dilemma, spiritual realities going on. And, 
there's really not a way that we can. We can't sense them. Why should we give our, so much attention to speculation and say, well, you know, there's a demon spirit, we need to cast out the demon, or we need the angel of whatever to help us and defend us? Well, just ask Christ to help. Christ, would you do and resist the devil? He'll flee from you. Resist the devil. That's our really command. We don't need to bind the devil or no. We give our attention to Christ. He is the absolute authority. We'll see it in the passage a little bit later. He is the Lord over all rule and authority, and he has publicly exposed them for their anti-God approach and philosophy of life, and he will judge them. He'll cast them all into hell when that final day of judgment comes. He says, watch out for that wisdom that seems so wise and so wonderful, but there's, there's no Christ in it. He says, watch out for anything that it would detract you or lead you away from Christ himself. We want to have that tradition, that doctrine, that pra- uh, mode of life, that practice that is according to Christ. It, is, it compares itself to Christ, his, his own glory, his own beauty, his own um, uh, fullness, as we'll see in the next verse. The fullness of deity dwells in him. This is the doctrine that we ought to pay attention to, a doctrine of Christ, the doctrine that celebrates who he is. He is the Son of God. He is the Lord of all. He is the creator of everything. He is the Lord of the church. He is the firstborn from the dead. All these wonderful realities about Christ. But then what has he done? He died for us. He died. He suffered in our place. And therefore, our salvation is not just a question mark. Our salvation is an exclamation mark. It is accomplished. Jesus did it. And I can have that confidence that I am in Christ. I don't need to pay attention to these false teachers who say, well, Christ is good and all. Maybe they'll even say that. Christ is good and all, but you need this, that, and the other thing. Well, when you start adding things to Christ, you are not adding. You are subtracting, dividing. You are ignoring. just pushing him right out of the equation. And you're giving your whole attention to what I have to do for my salvation, what I must not do in order to keep my salvation. You know, I won't do this. We'll see it later in verse 22, I think, um, that we ought not handle. 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Oh, I can't do that because that would compromise my salvation. No, your salvation is secure. You are in, if you're in Christ, you continue in that. You continue in that faith. Watch out for anyone who would lead you away from that idea. Just a few ideas then on legalism, because I think that is what he is getting after here in this context, and then as he'll develop it through the through the rest of chapter 2, this idea that we can somehow earn our salvation by what we do or we don't do, or somehow we can continue or or increase our salvation experience by based on our performance. It is a really a misplaced faith, because we're not trusting in Christ, we're trusting in either myself, my performance, or what other people tell me I ought to do. And not holding fast the head, which is Christ, not giving our attention to him, not recognizing our justification and our sanctification are in Christ. That means that we are declared righteous legally before God because of what Jesus has done, and then he is sanctifying us. He is making us more righteous on a day-to-day basis. That is based on Christ's work not so much ours. Now, we have a role to play. Philippians 2 talks about that. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. But, wow, honoring Christ's work and and then responding in it with a, a, a life that is submissive to him and so forth. But you know, there are several issues with legalism, several issues with this empty deception, this philosophy, this this trickery that these people would would offer to us. Uh, I'll just give you some, some main headings here, and we can talk about it, and we'll develop it later. But uh, faults are problems of legalism. It leads away from Christ. It does not honor him as 
who he is and what he has done. It just leads us away from Christ. It thinks, it teaches us that we can earn our salvation by works as opposed to receiving salvation by faith. It is an attempt to uh, add to Christ's atoning sacrifice. It is a way for, uh, for me, you know, if I just have a teacher to tell me what to do or not do, then I don't have to have any discernment. I don't have to make any decisions. I, you know, I just trust what they said. I, you're delegating your personal responsibility to obey the Lord. You're saying, oh, I can just obey that person and just assume everything's fine. No, don't do that. You will be judged. Not, not, well, you listen to that teacher. Judge that teacher. You go back to Genesis 3. Who was judged? Serpent, yes. Eve, yes. Adam, yes. All of them were judged. Serpent was the one who deceived. Eve was the one who was deceived. But Adam just outright disobeyed. He wasn't deceived at all. Do you know that legalism requires strict adherence? There's no role of grace in that. If you don't do this perfectly, then you're cast off. You're, you're excused. You, you, it's a hopeless endeavor. You can never do enough good works. And so that means, where's assurance of salvation? If you've never, if, if you could always do a little bit more to make sure that your salvation is secure, your justification, and then your sanctification is, is growing, that just do a little bit more. Uh, where's the end of that? There's no hope. There's no assurance of salvation. There is uh, the idea of um, hypocrisy, this idea of, of legalism, means, well, at least I've got to look good on the outside. If I look good on the outside, then that'll get me the praise of men. That'll get me you know, a, a, a position at the table or whatever. No, we don't want to just have eye service or please men. We want to live to please the Lord. We want to have this, this um, security in knowing that we're accepted before God. And we give not just our external externalities are outside you know we dress this way or we talk this way or we have the christian lingo where's your heart isaiah is mentioned so many times in, in the new testament but this verse he says uh, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are way far away from me you know they look so good and they they, they say the right things they, they do the right in their schedule the way they spend them but their heart their attitude where who they are as a as a real person is so far away from from me that's a problem, because what does God do? He doesn't just judge on external appearances. He judges based on the heart, the, the things that are going on in us. There are other difficulties with, with legalism we'll look at another time, but don't go after that stuff. Hold fast to Christ. There is no other solution. One of the, Probably my favorite line from the movie Luther, maybe you've seen that, about Martin Luther and the Reformation and so forth, is when... Uh, Martin is with his spiritual father, right, Johann von Staupitz, and he was talking about all these difficulties, all these fears Martin had about, about you know, God is such a wrathful God, and, and I, he's always angry with me. And Johann, Father Johann said, look to Christ. Look to Christ. And he took off his cross and put it on him. That is the answer. Don't look to these false teachers and all this things, this stuff that looks reasonable, wonderful, new, and innovative. If it draws away, leads away from Christ, it's nothing. Don't pay attention to it. Give full honor to the Son of God. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you gave to us the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his humility and in coming into this earth as a little baby of growing up and always, always, always pleasing you in the, what he did and said and what he desired, even in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was battling his... Um, 
desire to to escape this judgment, this punishment that was meted out by you. Yet he submitted himself, not my will, but your will be done. And then he went to the cross and suffered. He went as a lamb and died in our place. Please help us never to get beyond that reality. Christ, who Christ is and what he has done for us, what it has accomplished for us. Even now what he's doing, interceding for us, uh, representing us as a high priest before you, asking that you would strengthen us and that you would show mercy and that you would save us. Uh, we know that we are saved, but we're also being saved and we will be saved. And we're grateful for your sovereignty in your salvation work. Please help us to be vigilant against foolishness against teaching doctrine that would lead us away from Christ. Even our own lives, our own hearts are so deceptive, so prone to wander away from you. We pray that you would take our heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for your courts above. Please help us to be your people. Help us to be valiant for the truth and aggressive in love. Please help us to speak the truth, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, speaking the truth or doing the truth, truthing in love so that we may grow in all aspects into him as the head. Please help. We need you so much. Please help us to be vigilant against ourselves and against those who would lead us away from Christ. We pray that Christ alone would receive the glory. We pray in his name. Amen.